It's so good to be with you today. Thank you for enabling me to come. Debbie and Alan hosted me last night in their beautiful home. I spent the night there, had a delicious meal. They've been so gracious. But thank you most of all for letting me come today to talk to you about something that's very important to me. I'm going to preach in just a minute, but I want to tell you about Guidestone. You may not know this, but Guidestone is the retirement and insurance entity for Southern Baptists. I've been a pastor for 48 years, and I served five churches, and uh, those churches were thinking about my retirement long before I was. I was going to preach forever. Jesus was coming back and uh, in my lifetime, and he may still do that, but uh, time's growing short for me, and uh, I came to retirement. But because of those churches looking out after me, and because of Guidestone, I had a retirement account. So I was able to retire pretty comfortably and all is well and uh, moved to Florida and was going to just relax on the beach. And then Guidestone said, come and work for us and tell people about uh, mission dignity. Mission dignity is for those pastors, unlike me, who never had a retirement program. And there are thousands of them. They serve small churches that never could pay them or would pay them enough hardly to live, let alone put aside for retirement. And so they've come to their golden years, which should be their golden years, and they have nothing. They're living below the poverty line. Mission dignity comes along, and if we can find them, we support them to the tune of a few hundred dollars a month, which makes the difference often uh, between drugs and medication and rent payments and so forth, so they can live. And right now you're thinking about some pastor in your life who had a significant role in your spiritual development and you're wondering, where's the old guy now? Well, the old guy may be suffering or his widow is being neglected and Mission Dignity tries to find them and help them. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, I was young and now I'm old and I have never seen the Lord's people uh, go without, or their seed begging bread. Scripture says in First Timothy chapter 5, those elders or those pastors who have led their churches well are worthy of double honor, especially those who are in preaching and in teaching. And so with Mission Dignity, we help them. It's not a lot of money, but it's enough to get them through. I met uh, one lady whose father was a pastor, and uh, she didn't know this at the time. He came to retirement before he was ready to because of a sickness. And uh, she found out through her mother that her, father, that her mother was selling blood plasma in order to buy medication. And Mission Dignity found out about it and helped them. Uh, like Debbie said, you're already supporting it. So I'm here to thank you. It's in your budget. You may not know that but it's in your budget. But I want to give you the chance to do something beyond that. Uh, in the back, maybe there are brochures, envelopes. If you want to be a part of it, then uh, you can give one time or you can give monthly. Any amount counts and it will make a difference. I want you to watch a video that will tell you a little bit more. Throughout the pages of the Bible, the olive tree is often mentioned. In fact, it's one of the most highly valued trees known to the ancient Jews. 
Olive Trees and Mission Dignity recipients have a lot in common. They're resilient. They symbolize and represent witnesses for God. And they continue to produce fruit even in their old age, many continuing their ministry throughout retirement. It came to my attention about Leeds Housing Authority. There's 158 apartments there, and people were hungry, and they had needs, and they needed prayer. So we moved there not really knowing exactly what we were going to do. God told me this one thing, I will give you what you need to do what I call and need you to do. There's no words to describe what a difference Mission Dignity has made in our lives. Mission Dignity helps me because I have a pulpit on my front porch. And people who I cannot get to come to, come to church, that's, that's our theme. We take the church to them and build a bridge where I can get them back to the church. My husband and I were home missionaries. We served in the Great Lakes area, Illinois, Indiana. We mainly did church planting, and I suppose we started 20 or 25 churches. Mission Dignity has impacted my life by allowing me to remain in the ministries I have in the church here by helping me pay the expenses to live here and to stay here uh, at Regency Point. We have four uh, Southern Baptist pastors that come on a weekly basis. So we have church on Sunday, hymn singing on Monday, and Bible study on Tuesday. And I am very, very grateful. We pastor small churches. We never did have as much money as we would have liked, but God gave us what we needed. The Lord's not done with us yet. He still wants us to minister, bear fruit, bless others. And I think um, through Mission Dignity, we'll be able to do that more. I want to invest in the kingdom of God. I'm not living for this life. I'm living for the life to come. And Mission Dignity is serving me so I can serve others. Mission Dignity helps more than 2,800 individuals every year with extra money needed for housing, food, and vital medications. Many of these pastors led some of us to faith, and as they face advancing age, illness, and death of a spouse, it's our turn to take care of our family with prayer, financial assistance, and a sense of security. Mission Dignity provides a lot of security for me, a lot of security and a lot of peace. 100% of your gift helps a retirement age pastor or widow in need. I just want to say to all donors that contribute to Mission Dignity, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And my husband, were he here, would thank you too for picking up the baton where he had to lay it down and run in the race so that I could finish mine. Please give to these faithful servants today. A majority of the 2,800 people we helped last year are the widows of pastors. And so we're picking up the baton for them and seeing them through. We're looking for donors we're also looking for recipients. So if you know of a pastor who might be in need, 
tell your pastor, he'll tell me, and we'll try to get some help to them. Take this home, fill it out as God leads you, and you just mail it from your home uh, with your gift for mission dignity. It will be much appreciated. I am a um, father. My wife and I have one son. He lives in Texas, and he and his wife, Daniela, just gave us our first, maybe only, but first granddaughter. Her name is Lucy, and she's the joy of our hearts and our lives. Well, I didn't start out to be a preacher in my imagination. I, I preached at 16 and pastored at 19. But I, I, when I was a child, I wanted to be an architect. I would watch television in our small duplex apartment, lower middle class folk, and I would see the homes of the situation comedies on TV. And I wanted to live where they were living. And when the show was over, I'd go to my little desk and I would draw the floor plan of the house I'd just seen on television. And where rooms weren't shown on the program, I would imagine what they were like. And so I, I wanted to be an architect until I realized math was involved. And I gave that up. And shortly after that, God did call me to preach. Several years ago, my wife and I were vacationing in Los Angeles, and we took the tour of uh, Universal Studios. Now, there's one in Florida, in Orlando now, but there wasn't then. It was just Universal in Los Angeles. And part of the attraction was to take the studio tour. And I took that, and you ride down in a little tram, you ride down the street, and you come to a very familiar street. It's the houses of all the situation shows you've been watching all your life. And I was thrilled to be there. The, the Beaver Cleaver house was over there. And the Munster house. These are old shows, but maybe you've heard of them. Uh, and, and I was thrilled. We passed the Cleaver house, and that was my favorite. And then we turned the corner and went the street behind. And I've never been more disappointed in my life. You know what was there? Nothing. It was just facades. On the front street was a facade, but there was nothing back there. There was nothing living there. It was just for show. And it made me think, maybe that describes some lives of people I know. May it not be mine. That it's all just for show. That there's nothing behind the curtain. And I'm wondering that about you. I won't judge you. You think about it. What's real in your life? Paul the Apostle wanted to be an architect too, and he was an architect. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It'll be on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. The word is architect. But he's not building houses. He's building churches and lives. As a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, or straw, 
their work will be shown for what it is because the day, that's a capital D there, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder receives a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Paul's an architect. One of the greatest architects to ever live was Sir Christopher Wren. Maybe you've heard of him. He built St. Paul's Cathedral in London. He had something to do with that building at William and Mary down in Williamsburg. A great architect. Well, he was hired to build or finish building the town hall in Windsor, just outside London. It's still there. You can go see it. And he, he did the job, did it well, and the city fathers came to inspect and to pay the bill, but they didn't like what they saw. They pulled him aside and said, Sir, you, you've not put in enough columns to hold up the ceiling and hold up the roof. You need to add four more columns so it'll be safe. Now, they're bankers and merchants, they're telling that great architect he didn't know what he was doing. But they were paying the bills, so Christopher Wren put in the four extra columns. They came back to inspect. They were satisfied, and they paid him. And he laughed all the way to the bank. He put the columns in, and they went from the floor to just one inch shy of the ceiling. They're there, they're pretty, but they're not holding up anything. And that made me think too. What in my life is weight-bearing? What in my life is supporting what I'm about? What in my life is real? And what's just there for show? I ask myself, I'm going to ask you, what in your life is there for show? Paul was an architect. Sir Christopher Wren was an architect. You're building something too. You're building a church. And I want to commend you. You have a wonderful facility. And you're doing a good job in this community. You're about the building of God's people in, in this community. You're building a church. And dads, you're building a family. Dads and moms, you're building a family to honor God. And everybody here is building a life. You're building a life now. Now you may be older as I am, but you're still here. And so you're still building and God still has things for you to do. What's going to be important as you build your life, an authentic life? Let me give you a couple of things to think about. Number one, you need the right foundation the right foundation. Paul says, as a master builder, I have laid the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. No other foundation can be laid, which is laid, Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, come on. There, there are other foundations. Maybe you have another foundation for your life right now. I don't know. 
Maybe you're, you're building on the desire for fame or money or popularity, pleasure. Maybe you're pursuing that. That's the goal of your life. That's what makes you tick. There are other foundations. Paul knows that, but what he means is there's only one foundation that is sure, that will last, that will bear the, the ravages of time. The foundation is Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, do you have the right foundation? Is it Jesus in your life? Now, to say He's the foundation means a couple of things. Who He is is the foundation. Who He is in your life. Who is Jesus? Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody pretty much agrees that a man named Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, but there, there's where the agreement stops. Everybody's got their own idea. Jesus belongs to the world, so they're, they're free to have their ideas. But what does the Bible say? The Bible tells us that Jesus was not just a man, not just a moral teacher, a miracle worker, a healer. He was the God-man rolled up into one. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That's John chapter 1. It goes on to say, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Christmas. He took on human flesh and walked the earth. In the space of 33 years, He taught lessons he preached sermons, he healed people, he raised the dead, turned water into wine, and all the rest. But the most important thing he did, the reason why he came in the first place, was to go to the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. He took all our sins in his own body on the tree. And the last thing he said before he died was, It is finished! And what that means is, paid in full. I paid for the sins of all the world. So your sins and mine, and I don't know you, and I don't, I don't know what you've done, but you know. But we've all got that tendency towards sin. All our sin was wrapped up and put on Him, and He took it away. They put Him in a borrowed grave. Three days later, He arose. The message of Easter. And because He conquered death, we will too. That's the foundation of your life. Jesus. But not just those facts about Him. You can believe all of that and you'll believe no more than the devil does. The devil believes all of that. He knows it's true. It's not just believing in your head. It's having an encounter with Him. The living Christ having a relationship with Him. Walking and talking with Him. Living His life day by day. Joe McKeever is a good friend of mine, a Baptist preacher and cartoonist. You may have seen his cartoons in Baptist publications. He's in his 80s now, and he's already instructed his family. You may want to do this, you older folks. He's already instructed his family. When I die, I don't want any of you saying, Old Joe is now with the Lord. Don't put that in the paper. Don't put that as my obituary. Old Joe is now with the Lord. I've been with the Lord for decades. I met him as a child. I've been walking with him all these years. But then I will be in his presence face to face. 
the foundation, the only sure foundation of our lives needs to be Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done in our lives. Now, you got the foundation. Maybe, maybe that's true of everybody. I don't know. You've got the foundation. What about the framing? That's number two. The framing. What are you building on that? You've got, you started right. You were nine years old in vacation Bible school of all places. And you gave your heart to Christ. But now what's, what's been going on since then? You went off to the university. You went into the military. You got your job. What have you built on that foundation? He says, I have laid the foundation and now others are building on it. Gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or straw. Those are the two options. Now, he doesn't explain that metaphor, so we've got to be careful here. But some things are obvious. Gold, silver, and precious stones. That's uh, something costly. That's something valuable. That's something beautiful. That's something precious. And wood, hay, or straw, well, that's the opposite. That's cheap. That's flimsy. That's not going to last. What are you building with? First, Second Peter chapter 1 helps us with this. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need You don't have to go to Home Depot to get this stuff. The materials to build your life are given to you by God. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. I want to stop right there. You don't add to your faith in order to be saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Faith is what saves you. It's God's gracious gift. But now what are you building on it? For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Don't you wish every Christian was good? It's not true, you know. There's some Christians that are not very good out there. You run into them every day, maybe. They go to church somewhere, but they kind of forget about it during the week and they can be mean and cantankerous. They can sometimes be bitter and rude. We should be good. Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. You keep growing. You keep learning. That's why one of the reasons you come to church so that you can continue to grow. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, Godliness. That's a word you don't hear much anymore. We used to talk about in the old days, we used to talk about a person and and we would say, she's a godly person. But you don't hear that much anymore. What's a godly person? Somebody who reminds you of Jesus. Who in your life 
reminds you of Jesus. Not perfectly, no. But you think of Jesus when you're around that person. Does anybody say that about you? That you're a godly person. Add to godliness mutual affection. That's loving one another. And to mutual affection, genuine love. Agape love. Love that proves itself in sacrifice. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know anybody who wants to be ineffective and unproductive. I, I, I bet you don't. You, you want to be effective as a Christian. You want to be productive. Build on the foundation these things. Whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You've got the foundation. Now add to that foundation. Add to your faith these virtues so that your life is strong in a reflection of Christ. That's, that's gold, silver, and precious stones, I think. Now the opposite, the only other alternative, according to Paul, is wood, hay, or straw. Things that are not permanent. They're not valuable. They don't mean anything. They don't last. John says in 1 John chapter 2, Verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, here it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life does not come from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires are passing away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh. The pride of life. You're tempted in these areas every day. And I am too. But I'm building my life and I can't, I can't put that cheap stuff in if I want to shine for Christ. It's got to be gold and silver and precious stones. So there's the foundation and there's the framing. Now that's important because number three, there's a fire coming. There's a fire coming. Every man's work will be tested by fire. The day, capital D, D-Day, the day will declare it. There's coming a time of fire. I don't suppose there's anything sadder than watching a house burn down. You've seen it on television if you haven't seen it in your own experience. And here's a family. They've lost everything. They had everything the day before, but now they've lost everything. And, and they're sitting in the ashes, sifting through them for pieces of photographs and mementos from their days gone by. It's sad. But the fire came suddenly. They weren't expecting it. A sudden explosion. A few years ago, I was in Japan. It was August, and it was a hot August day, August the 9th. And I was in the marketplace when suddenly I heard a, a loud blast, a horn blast. And I thought, we were on a cruise, and I thought it was the cruise ship calling us all back to the ship. But I noticed that everybody in the marketplace, hundreds of people, all stopped where they were. And they bowed their heads in reverence. 
and I looked at my watch and it was 11.02 a.m. We were in Nagasaki, Japan. And I remembered from history that that was the day, that was the hour, that was the minute when the atomic bomb dropped on Nagasaki. And I imagined it was a beautiful day like it was when I was there. And people were going about their lives in the marketplace like I was when everything changed. Paul says there's going to come a fire suddenly and it's going to test what you've built. It looks good now, yeah. You've got the, you've got the facade, you've got the, the non-weight-bearing pillars in place. But how's it going to do when the fire comes? We're not sure what he means by the fire, by the way. It's one of two things or maybe both. He may be talking about the fire of judgment. There is a judgment day coming. You know that. The Bible says there's a a great white throne judgment for the lost and there's the judgment seat of Christ that we will all, we Christians will all stand in front of Jesus and, and we'll be tested according to our works. How we've lived since we've been a Christian. And, and you're not going to be judged standing beside your pastor or by some uh, church leader who may be uh, let you down and, and you're now better than they are because they did some horrible stuff. And, and so you think you're going to come out all right with that. You're, you're judged in front of Jesus alone. How have you lived? It's going to be a sad day for some. The fire of judgment day. It may mean that. It could also mean your personal time of fire. D-Day for you could be this week. And you, have, you don't even know it yet. D-Day may come in your life this week. You got a doctor's appointment on Tuesday. Your oncologist, and he's going to tell you some devastating news. Or a family member is going to sit you down with heartbreaking news. Fire. How are you building your life? The day will come. Mark Twain uh, was a great writer. You know, he was very skeptical about religion, organized religion in particular. And uh, he married Olivia, and she was, she was a strong Christian. And he made fun of her, maybe good-hearted fun, but he ridiculed her faith, talked, talked it down all the time, and generally uh, talked her out of it. And then later in life, their adult daughter died suddenly. And they were devastated. Parents, you can imagine having a child die. They were devastated. And uh, Olivia was inconsolable. And Mark Twain said to her, Livy, if it helps you, rely on your faith. Lean on your faith. She said, I don't have any faith left. She'd been talked out of it. You're building your life now. The foundation is there. Build with the right materials. Jesus preached the greatest sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Starts in Matthew chapter 5. He ends the sermon by talking about two men who were builders. One was wise, the other was foolish. That's the only difference between them. They both had dreams for their family. They both had dreams for their life. They're building the... uh, the wise man 
took some time and looked for solid rock. And when he had found it, he built his house on a sure foundation. The foolish man was in a hurry. And he couldn't be bothered taking time to look for a solid rock foundation. He just found a plot of land and he quickly built his house. Maybe they used the same architect, the same building plans, but the difference was the foundation, solid rock or sand. They both moved in. Everybody's happy until they noticed out offshore some dark clouds were gathering. A hurricane was brewing out there. And eventually the winds were coming and the rain came and the storm surge came in on shore. And the foolish man saw everything destroyed. That was his day. The foolish man lost everything. He discovered he'd been using substandard material. He didn't know it. Or maybe he did, but it was cheaper. He had used substandard material and it still looked good, but it couldn't stand up to the fire. couldn't stand up to the storm. The wise man, well, he lost a shingle or two off his roof. He suffered a little damage. It was a storm after all, but he survived it. And Jesus said, the foundation is me and my teaching. So how are you building? Are you building on the right foundation? Are you using the right framing? Are you ready for the fire? It surely will come someday or other in your life. Would you pray with me? Everyone bow in your head. We're going to sing a song and end our service in just a moment, but Maybe you are hearing this message and thinking, I don't know about the right foundation in my life. If you want to talk to somebody or you're online, you're watching online, contact this pastor. Alan would love to talk to you about it. And you can make a commitment that will change eternity. Or maybe you're a Christian, but you realize you've been building with the wrong stuff. Let him know that too. And He'll pray for you and help you and give you guidance that can make all the difference in the world. Father, I pray that you will have your way and your will in every life today. Through Christ we pray. Amen.